Hi, and welcome to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections. This is a podcast dedicated to everything sci-fi, be it film, television, books, video games. We'll talk about it, we'll dissect it, and tell you what we think about it. Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of Sci-Fi Cross-Section. I am your stalwart host, Andrew Miller, filling in for Colin, who uh, could not be here. Um, sitting right across from you sitting, right now. You know, he couldn't be sitting eight feet away from me. I, I've appeared on this podcast enough to just wrench it away from Colin's dead grip. I don't even want it anymore. It's an improvement. But, uh, who else do we have here today? We're missing some people. Uh, I'm Matt. Mark. Colin. Jason. Uh, today we're obviously missing Eric and uh, Ben. Both of them could not be here tonight. They're not dead, but we don't know where the bodies are. So. Very, <laughs> maybe they could. in a bunker somewhere. <laughs> hey. what you did there. Hopefully not with uh, John Goodman. But yeah, oh, that'd be pretty cool. I'd, I'd get in a bunker with John Goodman. I think we'd get along well. He's a good guy. Talk about Roseanne with him. My favorite season. <laughs> you know, halfway through the movie, I was like, this guy. He was on Roseanne. <laughs> it's weird to think that he has met Donald Glover and worked on creative <laughs> projects with Donald Glover. That's where your thought process <laughs> is. I get it. Okay. Um, what's today's uh, topic? Today um, we're going to be talking about 10 Cloverfield Lane. Okay. The movie that may or may not be a sequel to Cloverfield. I couldn't figure that out. <laughs> I like what you did there. Yes, it is, but I like what you did there. It's um, a sequel to Nine Cloverfield Lane. Oh, that's <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, Nine Cloverfield Avenue. It, well, <laughs> before we begin, let's talk about some, uh, well, this is actually a fairly contemporary topic. Let's talk about some other contemporary things. Like news. Okay. So, I mean, obviously we know that there's this new uh, game... Mass Effect Andromeda coming out eventually. Right. They didn't give us a date yet, right? Video no date. No date yet, okay. But they are continuing the trend of releasing books alongside the video game. Written by Michael Crichton? No. Michael Crichton. Uh, the, the, uh, Michael Crichton's ghost. Drew, Drew Carpershin wrote the original three that tied He's in with the, the games, and it was fantastic. You yeah. read Great them, books. right? read them all, yep. Uh, if anyone else hasn't read them, I recommend you do. I own them all, so you can Even if it's not Mass Effect... Carpershin is a great yeah, writer. He wrote the Bane series. Yep. yep. He's done some other things. He's written for some other video games. Aside from Mass Effect and Mass Effect 2, he wrote those as well. And I think that the reason they were successful was because of him, personally. Yeah. Um, a good aside about Mass Effect real quick. I think you guys will appreciate this. Exactly going on 10 years later, my sister is finally playing Mass Effect 1 right now. Whoa, she what? bought it on the Steam sale. Well, I thought she already no, played No, she played 2 what? and 3. She never played 1. You were talking. Wow. I thought you no. said that she was getting into them already. She started at 2. Dang. She started yeah, at 2. Yeah, because 1 is only available in anthologies for PS3. I mean, I bought 1 and 2 on Steam. 3, you have to go through Origin. Yeah. Let her know yeah. that. She can't go no, through she, Steam. No, she's beaten 2 and 3 on PlayStation oh. 3. All right. She just got one on Steam, though, because she couldn't get them separately. You know, so. I feel like if there's one... But, you know what she already told me? She already loves one. Story-wise, setup-wise, oh, yeah. world-wise, oh, yeah. much more than two or three. So I'm proud of her. I continue to be proud of her. Good little guy. Everything about it was kind of better. So, I mean... But they're modeling Andromeda after one, so we'll see what happens. Okay, Excited they're modeling. I... You know, three is the one that I haven't played, honestly. I bought it launch day. You have the collector's edition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were scenario. <laughs> I was playing through two so heavily, like blasting through it to get up to the release. I finished it the day before three came out. I played for like ten minutes, and I just, I just couldn't do it. I was like, Play I, I just played this for for seventy hours. Play three until you meet Marauder Shields, and then turn off your, your console. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. That's I all we'll say. Uh, no, until on. you've met Marauder Shields, you won't understand. You won't understand. Marauder will. Shields change. He's a game changer. He he literally is. Anyway, really <laughs> I've got a sci-fi confession to make. You've never played Mass Effect. I have not played a single you know Mass what? Effect game you know for more than one hour. Wow. Wow. Oh wait, so you've tried it. I well yeah, it's not I I started Mass Effect One and it's not even that I hated it, but I it was something that I wanted to play through for uh, the gaming channel that I was on. Mm Mm-hmm. And that I mean, that dissolved, so you know 
I still recommend you. Yeah. Go once, play. once I like, I'm gonna up. start. Probably, I've got a, like this long weekend coming up, so I'm probably gonna. It's a great game. It, it, it still holds up. up. Probably it holds still holds up. It's a great yeah. game. Uh, yeah. They, they, they really hit a good stride with the, that series. Nice. Um, we won't go into the end. Welcome to the Mass Effect podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll talk nice. about Mass Effect after <laughs> I beat Mass Effect. To continue this uh, contemporary topic, uh, August 2016 is when the first book comes out. Uh, the books following will be March uh, 17, September 17, and then March 18. So they're doing four books for this. Yeah, they're not doing like the one book and per... this is continuing the actual canon of the Mass Effect cool. universe. So this is, this is huge. Before, they only did books... Before each game, mm-hmm. I don't think they're doing that this time because I don't think you could spit out that many Mass Effect games in, you know, well, two the, years. Because Andromeda is is the it's offset from the regular story, right? Right. I don't think Andromeda is coming out till two thousand eighteen. Just kidding. It'll so, be out in twenty seventeen, but these books are going to surround it in a way. Okay. It's going to explain how Andromeda makes sense. The book coming out in August will explain how this new game will make sense. So, okay. So, um, well, talking about things uh, coming up in the near future, uh, the Lost in Space just got signed on for ten episodes on Netflix. I did see that. Two thousand eight, yeah. uh, couple years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually excited for that. Normally, when people are like, "Oh, we're going to bring this thing back because people like nostalgia and they'll do it," but honestly, I'm excited for Lost in Space. And they said they're going to try to stay true to the feel of the original, but update it. To make sense nowadays, because the original was kind of campy. Are they going to put Matt LeBlanc? Yes, they did. Matt LeBlanc signed on. That's all they We all had the same idea. (laughs) They didn't even like (laughs) in the press thing I read. They didn't even mention the movie. They just talked about the original series and how they're going to try to stay true to that. Um, And they just tried to ignore. Look look what happened with Battlestar Galactica. Okay, they they reimagined the series. It was completely different, and it was successful. Every, critically acclaimed, everyone liked Battlestar Galactica, even though it was based off of something that was god-awful from, what, the 70s or 80s? When was the original Battlestar? Yeah, it was late 70s. 70s. Yeah, 70s. terrible. Like 78 or I told my dad to watch Battlestar Galactica, thinking, okay, he's going to watch the new one. He watched the one from the <laughs> 70s. He's like, I walked in on him watching it. He's like, what the fuck am I watching? Get out <laughs> of my house. Like, don't, don't, Colin, don't, look, don't look at it. Get out I'm of like, my house, I was like, Colin. Oh, no, no, no. I'm so sorry. Don't watch this one. <laughs> but, I, yeah. Dude, that man, yeah. I feel like Lost in Space, <laughs> it's, it's meant to be like a an episodic thing. It can't be like one action-packed movie like they tried in the 90s. But they had a CGI monkey. A and space I, monkey. They also, had, they also had a perfect cast. That was a great cast. They, that was a really they good wasted cast. that cast yeah. in that movie. Oh, Gary Oldman. You had if you had if you have John, Gary, Gary Oldman and you can't make mm, a movie work. John, John Hurt. Uh, I mean, I could do without Matt LeBlanc, but hey, he okay, he did okay. He great. He did okay. Just was Lauren just too damn fast. Yes. Yes. I I don't know who that. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> when I, I was like the appropriate age to fall in love with a little girl. Mm. <laughs> I want to know what she's been in since then. <laughs> See, that's the difference between you and me. Is like I fell in love with Gary Oldman during that movie, <laughs> and then that love never went away. I mean, I'm still in love with him. Next uh, topic, there, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also just quickly wanted to mention that uh, with the new Star Trek movie coming out, they tried to go Bondy with it. And when I say Bondy, I mean it's a Bond song for Star Trek called Sledgehammer. Not unfortunately, the, not the Peter Gabriel. Not song. the Peter Gabriel version, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's even lens flares in it. I mean, they're really trying with this one, but alas, it, I, feel I don't like think it's gonna hold up. They saw how you know everyone gets excited about the Bond movie coming out, and like the song that is released with it is this big deal. And I think Sometimes. Rihanna just tried to ride that wave. The sounds. I mean, it sounds like a song that she wrote for the last Bond film, but it, they didn't accept it. So she's like, "Fine, I'll take this elsewhere." <laughs> I could see Sledgehammer being a Bond song. Yeah, honestly, the, the last good Bond song was uh, the one for Skyfall. That is Skyfall. By the... That was fantastic. Yeah, man, good. Quantum of Solace was a fantastic song. Oh, Jack. I think we said that in the theaters. Then we were just like, "Oh man, <laughs> what the hell?" We'll we go get some popcorn. But then after this last one, who did the last one for Spectre? Oh, uh, uh, Sam Smith. Yeah, Sam Smith. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Sam Smith 
it was eh. I would actually prefer the Quantum of Solace Bond song to the Sam Smith I agree. one. Because at least the the uh, the one from Quantum of Solace, it was written by uh, Jack White and Alicia Keys, and they actually tried to implement things from previous like Bond songs. Like it, there was elements to it that you could identify. Sam Smith was actually pretty terrible, except for just the piano. It was it was a good <laughs> song, I feel, but it didn't feel right. When I was in the theater, I remember just it fell off. It felt like a song that he was just like, "You guys need a bomb song? Yeah, just take this one." Mm-hmm. I, I love don't know. Chris it, Cornell's song for. Uh, yeah, Chris Cornell actually did yeah. a great one. I I really like that. Uh, the one thing I will say about uh, Sam Smith's is. Uh, I feel like he does falsetto just because he can do falsetto. Mm-hmm. Like, not that it actually serves the song. It's like, dude, all right, we get it. Your voice can do that. Let's move on. But, all right. Um, so, without further ado, unless you have anything else to add, Matt? Does anyone else add anything? Can we all take one second here to, you know, express our condolences for Anton Chekhov dying? Yel- Yel- Yeltsin. Boris Yel- <laughs> Yeltsin. <laughs> So Anton Yelchin actually died, and that's actually unfortunate. Cut that part out. I think he was one of the better parts of uh, this new Star Trek series. He played a good checkoff. It's it's just unfortunate because it's one of those things where it's like someone who's so young that definitely has a very full, bright career ahead of them dies in such a unfortunate way just like such a freak accident mm-hmm. it, it was i just remember seeing Sad like wow really yeah. like that's you know I, that yeah, whole the, the way it happens circumstances like, surrounding that it's just so unfortunate you know but um, it, it'll be interesting now going into uh, beyond you know when we all watch it here in a couple weeks it's going to be kind of interesting seeing that you know it'll i don't be, want to say it, but i think the movie's gonna have more meaning for me now just because oh yeah i mean died. i think you will yeah Kind of a somber, a somber uh, state of affairs hanging over the movie at this point. But. Yeah, and it's also interesting to see that they uh, there's talks of because people are speculating already that they're going to continue this uh, this J.J. Uh, Abrams universe series, um, but people are saying are they going to recast Chekhov because I mean Chekhov is part of the Enterprise crew, right? Always has yeah. been. Or do you just write him off in some way and don't replace replace him with a different character, not a different actor? Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. I they should probably just stop. I think they. I was actually yeah. hoping they would stop after this, anyways. But I agree. All right. Well, without any further ado, I suppose we should start the topic that we're all here for tonight. Nine Cloverfield cul-de-sac. <laughs> I don't like the way you say sack. Anyways, um, so yeah, Ten Cloverfield Lane, uh, produced by J.J. Abrams. We're gonna say that name first because he's uh, the biggest name attached to this project. But uh, what about John Goodman? It's true. He's a pretty big name. Yeah, I and Mary Elizabeth Winstead's really cute. <laughs> I was actually thinking that for like half the movie, but anyways, I, like I was uh, thinking for the whole movie. She like, also was a tremendous actor in the movie. Yeah, oh, yes, <laughs> no, that's such a good job. She did I will a great say that job. the uh, the film was pretty brilliantly acted. So this was directed by Dan Trachtenberg. Trachtenberg, Dan okay. Trachtenberg, Dan Trachtenberg, father of Michelle, which is a beautiful name. It's a great name. Uh, it's a very good name to say. He did a damn good job. Yes, I would say. I don't want to credit this movie to J.J. Abrams at all, even though like his that's how they marketed it. They sell it by oh, you know, from producer J.J. Abrams. But he didn't write it. He didn't direct it. Right. He was busy making a Star Wars movie when this was going on. I don't. He had no attachment to this. So movie. Yeah, he saw the potential of the project and said, "I'll pay for this." Basically, yeah. They'll cash those J.J. checks. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that okay. So before we get into kind of the movie because I feel like it's definitely the type of movie where it's it's kind of got a thing you know like the, the movie itself you you yeah whenever the movie was actually still in theaters and I was trying to get people to see it you can't really say too much about it right yeah, you just right, kind of right, right. you're, you're very vague but one of the things that I thought was cool is that when they announced this project they kind of put a lot of that sort of vagueness behind the yeah. marketing which was cool because the movie they just they announced it they had a, a trailer that was very cool you know the u.s trailer anyway was very cool but very vague you really didn't know what was going on um 
and it, it was kind of a mystery. And I think that was interesting in this kind of era of the, I'm going to do the sound effect, the trailer, and you guys all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> in the era of that trailer, where can you, they... Can they, you put that in there? Yeah, the bass drop. Where they literally, every single trailer, you know, you, all, you know what the movie's going to be about. Yeah. When you're going into the theater, like you already know, you know, they give so much away. That was really refreshing with the marketing campaign for this movie was that yeah. they, they, you know, again, in the U.S. because we found some, you know, unfortunate, uh, you know, yeah, uh, exceptions to that rule. pretty much gave you a synopsis of the entire movie. Spoilers and all. Unfortunately. But yeah, with like the, the U.S. marketing, it was just really cool because they, they totally just kind of were real like you know coy about it and kind yeah. of under the radar and like okay we got this cool movie coming out come they see made it, it seem enticing yes. without giving any solid you information know, away i vaguely remember seeing the trailer the the america trailer for it but it seemed to me like there was also something trying to get in not just her trying to get out mm. like this movie was a complete surprise to me i've seen trailers for it i thought it was really well done anyways continue so. yeah so no so that was kind of cool so i mean to, to kind of start off the discussion about that that was just the first thing that really struck me because you know <clears throat> okay here's this cool science fiction movie it seems very vague i don't really know what it's about it has the word cloverfield in the title well, i know cloverfield you know was this huge you know monster kind of found footage movie from the late 2000s, you know, when I was in high school, I remember that movie coming out. And, you know, just being kind of, you know, interesting, kind of a breath of fresh air, and they were trying to do some things that hadn't really been done in a while, or at least done in American cinema at that level. Um, so it was kind of interesting trying to say, okay, well, how is this going to tie in, or how is it going to, you know, um, be related to this overall series? Is it is it a sequel? You know, is it not? I mean, they were kind of vague about it. So that was kind of interesting to me that it, it opened the door for my expectations going into the movie, like, okay, what what is this movie going to be? And I ended up being really surprised at what it was and thought it was good. But that's just kind of refreshing, I thought. That was my initial takeaway before I even watched the movie, was that I, I liked how they marketed it. And I think we're when, when, you, when, you, when you say, I like how they marketed it, meaning they uh, they didn't give anything away. Like that That's how it is. It's nowadays, either it's really bad marketing, they don't give you enough information, or it's... Bad in the sense that they give you too much information, but this movie was actually really well done with marketing, I would say. I think so. refreshing was a very good term. It was a really nice change of pace from what we normally see with trailers, I feel. Right, yeah. I remember uh, Batman v Superman. That trailer was so bad. They gave you the entire fucking movie in the trailer. Yeah. There was there was everything, even Doomsday's in the trailer. Like, they, they give you everything. And you don't need everything to be enticed. You all you need is bat fleck and conflict. You know, they just ruined so much for for me in the trailer. But that was the same thing. I went into the movie with so much mystery and, and expectation. I was just excited to see what was going to happen because they gave you nothing. Yeah, and I think that was glimpses. it. Was the key too? I think to really enjoying this movie. And of course, you're listening to this podcast now where we're going to tell you everything that happens in the movie, <laughs> which we haven't said anything yet. So if no, you, this is a good point. If you that. really want to watch the movie, please <laughs> go watch the movie and then come back and hit play and listen to the rest of the podcast. It's a beautiful movie that will surprise you. Yes. So. But that was the thing for me is that I was so happy because in this day and age, in this day and age where Star Wars was spoiled for me... <laughs> Like five minutes before I walked into the theater, episode seven was spoiled for me. Um, I was just really happy that I was able to make it into this movie and sit down and the movie rolled and I had no clue what was going on. Mm -hmm. So that was that was really cool to me. I, I feel like that was also a beautiful like kind of juxtaposition to the fact that the movie was so visually, like it gave so much, I don't even know what the proper word for that. It gave so much in like every little bit. Like when they were setting up uh, the Michelle's character at the beginning of the movie, I feel like you just see her apartment, you just see her grabbing stuff, but you get a feel for this person so quickly. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that was one of the things I thought that was really good in, in terms of like the set design. It's such a small scale movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's so you know it's 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 cool to see a movie that really 
believes in the performances of its actors and its story enough to where they're literally it's gonna everything's gonna take place in like three rooms, and it, right. it's it's kind of a ballsy move in 2016 to to have a big mainstream film like that and just say no like we you know we believe in our script we believe in the story we believe in the actors are gonna bring it to life. But that also puts the onus on the directors and the cinematographers to really, okay, you have to say a lot with each and every shot. Yeah. You know, you have to really sell it and you have to kind of visually tell a story as well. And I thought they did a great job of that. Um, you, you know, in the beginning before the events really kind of start to unfold and then as, you know, the film goes on and, and you get into the John Goodman's bunker... Fun time bunker. There was one thing that I remember noticing specifically, and it was when she's grabbing all of her stuff and running around the apartment, she uses a screwdriver to open up a drawer that has like a handle that was falling off. And it's such a small thing, mm-hmm. but everybody has either done that or knows somebody who's done that instead of just like fixing a drawer. And it just kind of speaks volumes about a person. Yeah. And it's and a relationship that was yeah. the, the like beginning of the movie, you know? Exactly. So it says so much about like her and her husband or whatever, because you see the rings. I think it was fiance. Fiance, fiance yeah. or whatever, but it just it which is, so which much is the uncredited Bradley Cooper. Yeah. It's Bradley Cooper. I did I didn't know that. I yeah. didn't recognize <laughs> that. I was like, wow. wait, so she's gonna get married to Rocky Raccoon? <laughs> <laughs> I caught the voice. Is there are they like doing kind of a yeah. cr- like a cross? Oh. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the phone when she was driving, I, I caught the voice. It's like that. That's gotta be. I was like, him. "That's cool." And then it, it didn't cool. show up at the end of the movie, so I looked it up, and it was it's uncredited. Yeah. yeah. It's I like that a lot. I love him. Just his voice being in the movie for like ten seconds, just adds something for me. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, don't hang up. Come on. Oh my god, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> So, that yeah, that's kind of the thing with with this movie is, it. That whole time you you kind of have a sense of there's a sense of expectation I think based on the title alone. You know, it's a Cloverfield movie, so at some point you're assuming, oh, okay, there's going to be monsters, there's going to be you know, but to me it, it plays with some interesting themes in that yes, you know, at some point there is a monster. However, you know. It, the monster the whole time is actually prejudice. Yes, and and us and you know the whole uh, victim dynamic. You know, it's really interesting that they they played with that and that you know they kind of used the whole idea of it being an anthology sort of uh, statement versus it being just a true direct sequel. Because I mean, let's be honest. Like we probably all would have gone and seen it, but would a Cloverfield two where they're just stomping around some other giant U.S. city really have been like? the right. most interesting thing in the world. No. To I mean, me, I feel like this film, the, the fact that they tried to do something different with it and use similar, you know, subject matter, but also, you know, just do something so drastically different with it was just, again, you know, refreshing. I feel like that's the biggest, my biggest takeaway with this movie and why it's been one of my favorite movies of... It, that This this came out last this year. year? This, this year. year, right? This okay, year. that's what I thought. I remember seeing it, but it was just so cold and dark out. I can't really? remember if it, it was... It was like February, wasn't it? Wow. I think so, yeah. yeah well, I, I was thinking like end of last year. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's, it just it stuck with me. It feels longer. You know, since I've seen it. And same thing, I know you guys did kind of a recent viewing of it. I've only seen it once. I saw it when I saw it in yeah. theaters. And it still stuck with me. I still remember everything very vividly yeah. because it was just such a, you know... Oh, I'm sorry, it was March. March 11th. Yeah, March. Wow. So really that not that long ago. more recent than right. I uh, okay. Well, yeah. it's a very recent movie. Do we want to talk about like favorite and least favorite scenes? Well, uh, we or can do that. Dynamics. I really briefly wanted to talk about our cast. Oh, yeah. So, alright, first of all, let's talk about John Goodman. Oh, man. John He's Goodman. Where to start? Where the to unfortunate start? thing uh-huh. about when this movie was released is that when they do Oscar nominations, John Goodman will be all but forgotten. But he's yeah. e- extremely deserving, in my opinion. Right. right. Because so much of this movie is the relationship between uh, his character and Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character. Oh, yeah. And he just so masterfully 
goes through this whole range of just emotions and these character ticks and these character traits and you really feel like when you're watching his character on screen that like there's something going on behind the scenes you know behind this character's eyes like he's not he's not being forth as forthcoming as he should be right, yeah. but he's also not quite right like there's something wrong but then at the same time there's scenes where it's completely sold as like he's this you know real like friendly you know cares about you know his family and oh yeah you know like like you want to have a beer with him like you know he's yeah. he seems so friendly and like I think that's a really cool juxtaposition early on in the movie that you know you've got that the whole the whole uh, chunk of it where you're like oh you know there's got to be something wrong like this is you know he's he's messed up he's you know killer or there's something weird going on and then for a while you feel bad that you felt that way right based on you know actions that he has things that he does and yeah. then you know by the end you're like Oh man, like <laughs> John was, Goodman. That guy was fucked up. <laughs> John Goodman. I'm not going to Louisiana just because. John Goodman. He lives. But there. that's that's all him though, and that's yeah. the thing. He's like, like like Miller said. He's such a powerhouse, you know, just such a great performance, and I just feel like he's totally he going to get shafted. He plays that arc of like an abuser so well that it's scary, and you feel like you're in that situation where you're feeling that emotional roller coaster of like, oh, I feel bad that. Like, you know, you judged him, and mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. like that's that's what happens. Yeah, I I I had those feelings yep. the whole time. That was good. What I mean, like I said, it's a testament to the performance that you feel that right. way and the writing. Oh. Yeah, big time. <clears throat> the cinematography is great too. I love the scene where they're at the table. There's a shot. It's like from the off end of the table where no one's sitting, and you see her face in the background, and he's like clenching his fists mm-hmm. and like like trying to calm himself down because even he knows that he's furious and is just trying to like not take it out right at the moment mm-hmm. like it's, it's such a good shot i love it the uh, no the cinematography was fantastic they did a lot with such a small space I mean, one of the things that i wrote down was like the car crash scene yes. that blew me away i was like yeah that was really good mm-hmm. yeah um it made you feel like disoriented in, in the moment. Uh, but like, it wasn't like title shaky into that. camera. You oh know, yeah, the, uh, the credits. The whole time it's yeah. going, and it just goes quiet, and it you know, mm-hmm. it flashes who's the director, what's the title of the movie. Like it was. Yeah. That was really good. Um, so John Goodman. John Goodman is one character in the film. One. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's talk about Mary Elizabeth Winston. Uh, right. She was. Phenomenal in this movie. So good. Um, Most expressive eyes I've ever seen. Well, I loved, same thing, like her character arc and who she is at the beginning of the film and who she is at the end. Right. I'm so hesitant, even though we've already given about 10 spoiler alerts. Like, I don't want to ruin it still. (laughs) But just where her character ends up (laughs) and that last scene in the film. I don't want to talk about it yet. I don't, but we're going to. I agree, I agree. But, you know, where, where you said. At the beginning of the film, she's opening a drawer with a screwdriver. So things are broken, and she's hesitant to fix them. She doesn't know how to fix them. Exactly. You she, know, in she, her life, her relationships, whatever. She, about the fact she feels like a bystander. Right. Yeah. And she's and always had like abusive relationships. She runs yeah. away. Like with her father, with her, like with her fiance. Yes. And like you learn that about her character and how she's. Broken yeah, and and then at the at the end of the movie, just following that arc to where. She's finally taking responsibility for her actions, even if it leads potentially to her death or to her end. She's still going to try to do the right thing or to do something because it's in her power to make that decision. She's finally making her own decisions at the end when she goes left instead of going straight. And I, I just I thought that was so well done, and you really feel at the end like that's that's earned. You know, you you definitely right. see the character develop over the course of the movie. So I was. Same thing, like, I, I was familiar with her as an actress. I mean, I've really only seen her in uh, Scott Pilgrim, to be totally honest. Yeah. I mean, honestly. I agree. It's the same for me. I, I was just blown away. I thought it was a really good performance. Really interesting casting, you know, um, really for all the roles in this movie. But I feel like all the actors, whether they're extremely well-known or not, were just phenomenal in their roles. I think it was perfectly cast. I don't. I couldn't see anyone, you know, filling that role better than yeah. than she did. She was uh, the knockout. 
<laughs> a knockout. In more ways than one. So, I mean, we had some other cast members here, but we're just going to jump right into John Gallagher. Probably the last cast member we're going to talk about. Probably a good idea. I don't know. Um, lady hit her head against the window pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, head was lady number insane. one. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Headmaker's head head ball over here. Her fear was convincing, I will say. Oh, yeah, big time. for such a small part. Well, same thing, so with, with John Gallagher Jr., um, what a revelation, like, great character, because in the, the beginning when you first meet him, you don't know how to feel about him. Yeah, it was, he was whatever. You don't know if he's, like, an accomplice to this or what? Yeah, and, and it's just such, you know, like, a questionable thing. I just found myself like, oh, well, I mean, he's kind of a likable character. I mean, he's got, like, a beard and a trucker cap, and, like, I want to <laughs> like this guy, but, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but then... Are you saying that because... Three of the five of us have big yeah, yeah. So like, oh, he seems like good people, you know. But then as as the film goes on and they're, they kind of, they're conspiring and they're kind of working together against John Goodman's character and you start to see that, okay, you know, he's not a bad guy. He's a good guy. Like he understands that this situation is dangerous and it's not right. And, you know, there's, there's certain things that John Goodman is not being forthcoming about, you know. Um, that scene, I'm just going to do it because we have to because we're talking about it. The scene where John Goodman kills his character. Oh, no. <laughs> it shocked me. I was I white, I was white in the theater. I was really surprised. Because of the way they did it with the, the audio, yeah. you know, fading out like it would if you shot a, you know, you shot a gun in an enclosed space Such in a bunker. an enclosed space like yeah. that. And she's definitely, like, not used to it. And he's, like, trying to explain to her, like... He, you know, maybe he's suffering, like, the effects of the shot, but he's still trying to explain to her, like, you know, uh, it's going to be okay, like, I'm going to take care of this, and now it's going to be you and me, like it was supposed to be. And yeah. I was like, and that's, shit, that's yeah. so creepy, because that's the only part you can really start yep. making out. And it's that's like when it really hits you. It's like, yeah. it's like, oh, this guy is a creepy asshole after all. <laughs> and he comes back all, like, clean-shaven and stuff. It's God, like, giving her ice cream. been, like, looking for any excuse to get rid of this yeah. dude. But that, I mean, the same thing as a kind of character-driven piece because, you know, it's it's a cool kind of cinematic experiment. I mean, I know it's been done before. you got, like, your 12 Angry Men and you've got all the movies that are kind of focused in one location. They don't really leave the room, but it's all on the character interactions. That's kind of what you build the story around. This one was a total, like, bringing that back. And in a lot of ways, that's that's kind of what I got from this movie in terms of like you know uh, seeing it as like a reference to maybe things from the past it's like a total twilight zone episode which is awesome that was like my big takeaway was like that was great that was like a really good episode of the twilight zone just just everything that took place and kind of where they were at and the themes that it talked about it was really you know intelligent but i just thought like so much rode on the way the characters kind of built up their their own arcs and kind of the small interactions and even you know when you're when you're making a film on that small of a scale, you know it's it's a an eye movement or it's a wink or it's you know the way they move their hands or you know so much is on their actual physical performance that you know there's nothing else in the scene to distract you. So that's really what you have to pay attention to. And those three actors, you know, really sold it. You know, so I, that that was really to me of all the big kind of emotional moments in the film, none of them really fell flat for me. They all paid off yeah um and they all really felt like wow I, you know either i didn't see that coming or maybe i did see that coming but still like holy shit you know <laughs> it nothing felt like underwhelming when it actually yeah. happened that's that's the worst part though is when like the award season comes up this movie is going to be completely overlooked completely forgotten which no is unfortunate about it but everything about this movie cinematography writing the acting the casting was damn near perfect mm -hmm. i don't that 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 bums me out, but it's science fiction that that happens <laughs> a lot. But the only my only real complaint is I I hate when when stories have they have an obvious villain from the beginning. Like that my my only complaint with it is that there wasn't really like a twist on his character. He seemed like the bad guy, then almost wasn't, but then immediately was again. Uh, but you were so invested in what was happening at like with every scene it was just going so quickly their their day to day that I think it might that might be like a, a multiple viewing kind of thing. I think the first time I was totally okay with it. Uh, but the second time knowing that it was coming, 
it felt more, you know, average to me. <coughs> I don't know. You know, having seen it a couple of times, I think that might be more just a personal perspective than a multiple viewing. Because viewing it again made it almost better in that fact that you're watching her revelations. You're watching her thinking he's this monster that kidnapped her. And then starting to believe that, like, you know, that, that there's no stepping outside at all. And then realizing that I can't get outside, but I need to get away from him because he's still a danger. Like, it's just this, you know, layers on top of layers of her discovering lore about this place around her. Mm -hmm. Which, um, oh, go ahead, Kellen, sir. Well, no, I was just going to say, every time you thought you had John Goodman's character figured out, something switched. And you went, oh, okay, well, maybe... Maybe he's not a bad guy. Maybe he's okay. Well, you know, that was kind of bad. I could see him being just a crazy, you know, nut. Yeah. And then it just keeps switching. Yeah, I, I love that whole scene. I, I think it takes place around the dinner table where she finally gets the key. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's this, like, extremely tense scene where, you know, she's running up the stairs and, you know... She's, like, trying to throw stuff down to get in his way, and she's trying to unlock the padlock, and, like, you know, she's fumbling, and they're doing all these, like, really quick cuts and quick shots, and you're just like, oh, you know, just the, the intensity level just builds and builds and builds and builds, and then, you know, when you look outside, like, everything just looks so, like, idyllic and just mm -hmm. placid, and it looks great, except for, you know, the dead pig or whatever it is <laughs> laying there. But it's like everything just looks beautiful. It doesn't look like there's been any type of like nuclear holocaust or anything, you know, noticeable except for our, you know, friend that tries to get in the bunker that is, you know, suffering from a really bad sunburn it looks like or something. <laughs> but like that was interesting that they did that because, again, like the, the, the viewer kind of being carried along the story, we're looking at that from her perspective and it's like, well, what what is going on, you know? I mean, we have the, the knowledge that, okay, this is a Cloverfield movie, so, like, we kind of know what happened in the original Cloverfield. Is this tied in somehow, or is this, like, way after the fact, or, like, before that movie, or, like, what's going on? You know, we, we don't really know the, the timeline, necessarily, of when the, the outbreaks were occurring, or, like, what's going on. So, that was kind of interesting. It, it left you in that kind of uh, state of mystery, about what is actually going on outside. So I kind of like that because then, of course, she once again is made to kind of just, you know, be beholden to whatever John Goodman says because he knows better right. or thinks yeah. he knows but, better. But her next revelation also comes in a very similar way where she's looking out at the, the hatch at the top mm -hmm. where she looks out and it's this beautiful sky. Everything seems perfect. And then she sees the help scratched yeah. into the window. So it was like... It was the looking out at this idyllic landscape thing that makes you want to believe everything's okay. And then having another huge revelation. Mm -hmm. It was, again, cinematography was yeah. amazing in this. <laughs> Excellent, yeah. So, one thing I want to bring up to you guys, um, because we talked about a lot of the other kind of aspects that I drew from the movie, um, or I think we all have drawn from the movie, or like things we liked. How do you guys feel about this being a... Cloverfield movie or being you know part of a series an overarching series and not necessarily its own thing well, like being connected in the, some way you know watching the movie with the knowledge that it's part of some larger right. thing and not a standalone the way you said it earlier is this is an anthology film they're not doing a direct sequel this is another story at another place at another time and I thought it was fantastic if they do another Cloverfield movie I don't want it to be anything related to this one yeah. or related to the first one. Mm -hmm. I want it to be completely standalone, completely separate, and I will enjoy it. It feels I, almost yeah. like a Twilight Zone. Just um, these amazing stories that are you know, self-contained, but they all fit major themes. Yeah. It's kind of cool that you, they open it up to genre that way because you, yeah. you really can do whatever you want with it. You know, you're not, you're not shoehorned into, oh, you know, we've got to make this big you know, action piece, we can do something that's a little bit smaller scale, a little bit more intimate, and then maybe the next one's going to be like a western or something, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, it just, it's interesting that they can, they can play around with um, genre if you do it in that way, if you decide to do an anthology, because not a lot of franchises approach it that way, you know, they're, they're, 
usually doing some sort of continuation or they're trying to tell one like linear story and just you know oh well you know this time the villain's not going to be megatron oh wait it is megatron you know like that was really cool about this is that you know yeah okay there's some things that tie it in but you know for nine tenths of the movie it's its own thing and that leads in segues into what the next thing i want to ask you guys because um after i watched the movie I do this with anything. I do this with TV shows, I do this with movies, I do everything. I will watch it, then I form my own opinion, and then I immediately go to the bloggerverse and go and see what people are saying, what people's, you know, thoughts on it are, whether I agree with them, disagree with them, and you know, kind of helps kind of put my opinions in perspective. And I've always done that with everything. So I did the same thing for this movie, and the number one point of contention everyone had about the movie was when she finally gets out. And it becomes a monster movie for the last 15 oh, minutes. no. That's... That was like my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, so that's I interesting. I was like, wait, um, now it's getting interesting? There's 20 minutes left? Yeah, so that was the thing, though. So, okay, so uh, Miller's got an interesting take on it. A lot of what I saw was exactly what you said. But a lot of what I saw was the exact opposite. People loved the first hour and, you know, 20 minutes of the movie. And then that last section, they thought completely, tonally just didn't, match up like it didn't fit like they were trying to kind of shoehorn in oh no way it's a cloverfield movie so now we're gonna have you know the weird monsters and the flying you know organic spaceship things and you know and it was like for me i i really kind of i sat and like i discussed with because i went and saw it with my sister and my girlfriend um and we were, I was kind of talking with them, trying to see like oh well what are your thoughts on it you know because they've all seen the original cloverfield and everything else too and you know, we, we all kind of arrived at the same place to where I think we're okay with the ending. It didn't bother me. I mean, I can see why people would, you know, ha- have it as a point of criticism in what was otherwise, I thought, you know, a phenomenal movie. But I thought it was it was well done. It wasn't, you know, like overdone or it wasn't, you know, to the point where I thought it was like hokey or cheesy. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I now as a, as a character-driven, like, movie, it's, I mean, that first, you know, hour and however long is, it's a great, it's great as a character movie. It's just, it's not really, it's like, you know, has very minimal of like sci-fi aspects. Like you've got like the whole, like, well, is John Goodman like telling the truth or whatever? Like it looks normal outside. More like a mystery. Yeah. You're, ex- yeah, yeah. You're expecting, you know, like, hey, if there's like a, you know, like a nuclear explosion, like it looks, it should look like fallout out there, you know, like it's, like at least something like that, but you know you can't even, you can't tell if John Goodman's like on the level because he's just being weird and creepy the whole time. Like it's like, hey, you're uh, I'm gonna lock you to this thing. Like and the, so the first thing you assume is that you've been taken prisoner. Like yeah, uh, a little sad. I, so I mean, he's immediately like not exactly credible. I think that they perfectly played off of the the name. Having having that understanding of the universe allows you to see where she's coming from as a as like a, a character who's waking up in a bed that she, that is not hers in like an underground bunker with some big intimidating guy walking in on you. That was perfect because you you understood where she was coming from, but you also knew that he was as crazy as he sounded. He was right. That allowed you to have like a dual understanding of the situation still fear for her character in a way because he is an intimidating actor and like the way he portrays the character is perfect but also as funny as it is understand that he is just trying to help her that he's not being crazy he's just saying like you're not even appreciating the fact that like i've saved you you got ran off the road i brought you in here i gave you like a brace i fed you you're safe from this like catastrophe that's going on but you think that I'm like trying to murder you, you know? I think that like it was a it was a perfect relationship between the two because of the name, like because we're familiar with Cloverfield, you know, being like a, a big disastrous invasion, you know? Uh, so I, th- I think that that was like a perfect dynamic that was set up because of the name, even though it wasn't related. But then the way that they brought it in at the end, I don't know, the first time I saw it, I almost, I for a second, I was like, well, I mean, they could just end it here, and I'd be happy. But then it just kept happening, 
and she just kept being she she was just she was acting she wasn't on the sidelines anymore she just kept she just kept rolling with it and kept going and just took care of herself and got the job done you know it was a good way for her to continue as a character stepping out into the world and holding those ideals that she was trying to build on in the shelter. <laughs> and honestly, that's that's a lot of why I love the end so much because this whole thing is is a character piece that's kind of an allegory for like abuse, and you see it consistently throughout the whole thing where he's controlling, he's telling her that she can't, like he's physically removing her from things. He's also telling her regularly that like. Her family can't help, no one can help, no one's coming there to get her, no one's expecting her. He's he's constantly reinforcing these like very common domestic abuse themes over and over. He has arbitrary rules that he flips out about and then doesn't understand why she's so scared of him two seconds later. And then she finally is free from him. And there's this moment where it's just peaceful and beautiful and everything seems great. And then the real world hits. Mm -hmm. And that is such a beautiful continuation of that allegory where once somebody gets away from abuse, there are so many problems that typically happen immediately because that person controlled you and did not let you deal with a lot of stuff. So stepping out into the real world, there are so many problems that you have to overcome in such a short amount of time. And that was why, like, after a couple of more viewings, I love this movie yeah. so much because it it grew on it with adding this amazing sci-fi theme to it. Which I love that the only reason we're talking about this movie is because of the last uh, twenty minutes of the movie, <laughs> plus that it is connected to a previous movie. Right. Other than that, this was not a sci-fi movie except for what they mentioned. Uh, well, I mean, that's the thing, though, too. Like, you, you've got that, the scene that we've been talking about to the very end, like the last 15 minutes, that kind of functions as, like, a continuation of Mary Elizabeth Winsett's character's, like, story arc, you know, seeing her, like you said, kind of, okay, put what you learned to the test now. You mm -hmm. know, you're out in the real world. This shit is actually happening. So what are you going to, you know, what are you going to do? And she steps up and she, she takes care of it. But, like... That's the thing, like, it, part of me thought, up until the very end, like, she was going to get out of the bunker, and, like, the mailman was just going to, like, you know, come by and, like, put the mail in the box, and, like, oh, hey, what's up? You know, like, like it was, it was going to be a total, like, not cop-out, but, like, you know, everything was going to be fine, you know, like, I was waiting for that to happen, yeah, like, it was all just, where a few people were yeah, or it was all, like, uh, like something that like John Goodman's character like orchestrated, like you know he he left his dead pig out there that was like his you know two two dead pigs yeah or you know something like that like I kind of thought they were almost going to go that way and I don't know if like you wouldn't have had that big payoff but I think everything else in the movie was strong enough to where if they wanted to just leave it there they probably could have and it, I don't think people would have really necessarily complained you know but that also kind of comes with the territory of you know they're going to call it 10 Cloverfield Lane, and, you know, it, it, it has to kind of have that element to tie it in. Um, I also, I can't express how satisfying the line where she gets out of the bunker, and she's, like, hanging out by the car. She just has that moment of clarity, and then the, the ship starts to come and just drops that, like, Jaguar kind of thing off, and she's just like, Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love for I, her to be I in such disbelief yeah. the whole time. <laughs> both and time. then be like both time both viewings. I was just like I laughed like uproariously out loud at that line. It was just so great. Oh come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> she fought uh, so hard to get out yeah. of there and then she's like <laughs> Oh my god. This is what I fought to get away from. It was was the safety of the shelter, you know? I mean and John Pippen. John Goodman is 55 gallon drums of aircraft grade acid. <laughs> aircraft. I just like that scene came up and I'm like, you just have a big old barrel of acid. I, I mean, yeah. Okay. For dissolving organic waste. Okay. Right. For, to be proper, to be proper good sci-fi though, explain the science behind it. Explain what it is. 
Oh, it was just big drum of acid. No, <laughs> it wasn't. Just a bar- he gave you exactly. Oh yeah, he gave you. Said it was a he, precursor to there's, rocket. There's actually a <laughs> new. Uh, people have been calling out uh, sci-fi writers lately for yeah. being lazy, mm-hmm. for not explaining the science behind things anymore. Because that's what the original sci-fi writers were. They were mathematicians and scientists, doctors who, who wrote on the side. Right. right. Nowadays, it's writers who have no idea what science is there's a hotline that you can literally call to get science advice on any right. piece of fiction i don't know what the number there is. there are some good writers who still do their homework you know not everyone could be michael Crichton, but there are still people who do their homework but that is true you just come up with a convenient plot device so at least you explain what the uh he didn't just say, this is a barrel of acid. <laughs> right. <laughs> it added so much. It will literally acid. eat your face off. Mm-hmm. All right. But, uh, so, going from here, if they continue to make Cloverfield movies, and they continue this whole kind of anthology, uh, you know, idea, where would each of you guys like to see the series go? Or, like, what would you like to see? Now, knowing that this type of, like, completely, like, disparate... You know, genre movie works in in that universe. Like, what else could you? What direction you think they could go? Because I know there is has been talk and interest of doing a third film. You know what? I could almost see a action movie, but it starts off the first half is just a guy who I don't know reads some uh, some data, some signals, and knows that this is going to happen, and no one takes him seriously. And then the second half is just like a Michael Bay film. I could probably see them doing that. <laughs> I could see that. Sure. I, yeah, I couldn't say fine. that that's exactly what I, what I would want. Because I, I have a hard time saying, based off of how big of a jump they took, how, how like large of a leap that was from Cloverfield to 10 Cloverfield Lane, I couldn't really tell you what I would want out of them next. Right. But I could see that being the next step in the series. I honestly is continuing that like theme of of not exactly just some crazy alien movie for the first half. Right. Continuing that theme of like it being something you're not exactly expecting, but then picking up on those uh, the like invasion style stories. There needs to be a disbelief thing going on for the first half of the film. Yeah. And the second half needs to be the suspension of it and then you're like, okay, what is happening? Yeah. I think that could be uh, the next. What, what do you think? I don't know. I actually did think about it quite a bit, and I got I like two ideas. I think would be cool. So if they get used, then I'll have to sue somebody because we set them on the podcast. <laughs> we said it here. It's officially done. Recorded. Pen pending. law. I think it would be cool. Like one of the things that they they kind of show is that. You know, at the end, um, there's like that radio broadcast that she tunes into, and they're basically yeah. saying like, you know, we're we've had victories up up and down the coast, like we're and winning. Seaboard, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, like we're we're winning, you know. So it kind of almost plays into like, um, you know, like okay, this is a battle that we might ultimately win. Like you know, there's these just seemingly overwhelming odds, and it's just this crazy, you know, scary some type of alien life form that's very like you know alien looking to us and you know to me i think it might be cool if they took it in a direction where now it's after whatever this attack is and maybe it's someone that lost someone in the attack and they're kind of coping with the trauma of the the event or something like that that might be an interesting way to take it or dealing with like fallout of something like alien or so it's the same theme where it's some sort of an invasion or some sort of destruction. Yeah. And it's dealing with the fallout of that and like yes. people's disbelief. Yeah, that might be kind of interesting. Um, the other thing, and I, I think it could be done very well because this movie showed how well they can do with this concept with such a small cast would almost be like a road movie. But it would be something where if you kind of took this universe and took it to its like more kind of negative you know, conclusion, whereas, oh, they didn't win, you know, so now the earth is, you know, not necessarily post-apocalyptic, but like, you know, people are kind of scrounging and kind of make it a movie, you know, almost like how the road was and kind of deal with just, you know, a few characters, interactions in this new world and kind of trying to survive might be interesting, but I don't know. I I honestly don't know like where they would want to take it, if they would want to ratchet it back up and make it 
a big action piece again, or if they kind of like the idea of doing these cheaper, smaller scale movies where... I like just the whole telling the individual story that, like, this is just a, a story in this in this world. I really like that. What, what if we like, combine what your guys' ideas together <laughs> and do something where it's like an attack happens and no one's quite sure what happened, and there's like one guy who's like, this was an alien, and this was an alien. An alien attacked us, and no one's believing him, and he's trying to... I've get got JJ's everybody. number. I'll call him right now. <laughs> trying to get what, some of that JJ actually, money. What did I compare this one to? Uh, Z for Zachariah. Oh. This actually felt a lot like Z for Zachariah. It was a, it's, uh, it's a, it's a book. book. Oh, it's a book. Okay. Oh, it's, uh, it's a book about uh, the uh, post-apocalyptic uh, nuclear fallout, but this girl who lives in this valley that is somehow protected from all of this nuclear winter and a guy comes into the valley with a, a hazmat suit on and he's got all these ideas about like yeah he was like just exploring the like vast wasteland that is the world trying to find signs of life and this and that and then he finds this valley that because of the mountains around it was protected like all the weather patterns were like hitting the mountains and blowing away so she like this area survived the like the nuclear right. Uh, and yeah. and that's the spoilers, but it basically, I mean, honestly, and looking how it ended, not the sci-fi bit with the aliens and the truck and, you know, but it, it, it honestly felt like uh, Z for Zachariah. So if you guys read that book. It's a very good book. I have to check that out. Do you own it? I do. Okay. Let me borrow it. Yeah, I will. It's, it's, that, it's that a really thin me, book. That reminds me of Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind. It's like an organic kind of nuclear fallout almost mm -hmm. that's just like sweeping through killing everything but they're like protected the way the wind blows through their valley uh, it like protects them from the outbreak it can't take hold in their trees and their forests and their crops because the wind like blows the boars away from their crops but then shit gets tracked in by like invaders pretty much it's really dark I, I like it. it. That reminds me of it, too. I love how good your explanation was, and then you just go, and then shit gets trapped. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't want to give too much away. That's, right, that's, yeah. so we're going to sum it up as too. shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah I, I, great sci-fi. Great sci-fi in my in Okay, my book. that's exactly where I wanted to go to next. So you thought it was great sci-fi. Yes, I loved it. Matt, I, what do you yeah. think? <sighs> See, that's rough, because I think it's an amazing movie. Oh, it's an amazing, amazing movie. But this is a sci-fi podcast. Is it? What what kind of sci-fi is it? I would say good sci-fi. Okay. I would say good because in the end, it keeps you guessing on whether or not, like, you think there's some sort of an attack, something. It could be a million different things, and that element alone, stretched throughout the movie, I think, gives it that sci-fi category. So I, I'm going to say good sci-fi. Andrew Miller. Well, <laughs> I uh. I didn't like the movie as much as uh, you guys did, or seemed to anyway. Um, it's okay, it was, you can it was be a wrong. Fine... <laughs> was it, there wasn't a Sam Neill for it. <laughs> it was a it was a fine movie. Um, not a not a not a not what I'd call a good sci-fi movie. But it was okay. a fine movie. Yeah, so that one's tricky for me also because I love the movie. Um, it's a, I thought it was an excellent movie. It was definitely a big surprise. Uh, it, great i mean i i love it i love the performances i love the story i love what they do with so little but it isn't really it isn't the best sci-fi it's it's good sci-fi i feel like but it's it's great in its portrayal of other things i think like like uh matt has said on numerous occasions over this it's it's a phenomenal exploration of the abuse abuser victim relationship and you know what that entails and and how people that are in those circumstances kind of have to live and then you know when they get out of that circumstance you know have to live and find themselves you know but yeah as a sci-fi i mean it, it has that overarching like theme that they they bring into the end but it isn't really about that so i would say good sci-fi but yeah it's not i mean it's it's no event horizon uh <laughs> it's no sam neil and a cod piece but all right Honestly, the ending was as soon as she breaks out. All right, spoiler alert. Yeah, she breaks out. <laughs> um, I think it is 
fantastic sci-fi. It was wonderful. Like I said, that's my favorite part of the movie. But she gets out and fights that like spacecraft. Leading up to it, uh, we all had hindsight. We all knew that this was part of the Cloverfield right. universe, so we knew it was a sci-fi movie. But that movie is not sci-fi. It's not science fiction. Leading up to that last twenty minutes, yeah. I would say that it is okay sci-fi. I mean, I haven't given a bad review for anything we've done yet, but and it won't be with this one. But I would just say that it's it's, it's okay. Yeah. Um, definitely a wonderful movie. And if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, you're an idiot. Uh, watch <laughs> it. Because that audience alienation. Because <laughs> watch it. It is fantastic. Well, you know what, Eric did an entire podcast without even playing the game. Hopefully, if you didn't see the movie, you watched it. When I gave the first disclaimer, yep. and not when Colin just gave his ringing endorsement right now, because <laughs> well, it might you, not be you gave your first disclaimer, so I was like, okay, we can continue. Yeah, but, but yeah, def- definitely a movie worth seeing. Definitely, like I said, a surprise in every way, um, and you know, it might only classify as sci-fi because of those, you know, last twenty minutes, or because of that, like overarching, you know, uh, uh, franchise that it's part of, but. It, it still, I think, grapples with a lot of really, like, heady ideas and themes that are were yeah. worth exploring. It so lands on the umbrella. That's okay. It's okay yeah. for me. Side yeah. note. Did you guys know that when they shift to the, like, sci-fi portion, the director <coughs> wanted to change the aspect ratio? I didn't know. No way. Be, he wanted it to be, like, a little bit scrunched in, like, on, under, like, a letterbox. I didn't notice that. And then... When they, because sh- they they had he had the intention of shooting the, all that last stuff in closer to like an IMAX style like wider aspect, mm-hmm. so he wanted it to open up when yeah. she got out and like this world <coughs> was this this big crazy thing. He wanted it to ship like legitimately the screen would get larger for everybody once it got to that point. Cool. But they didn't have the funding. And right. Oh, so. Aspect ratios do a lot. Yeah. A they lot of funding. They didn't spend like, they spent like 20 bucks on the whole first hour and a half of the movie. <laughs> but, but they only had like, they only had like 25 bucks. That was actually, that was actually John Goodman's basement. Like, <laughs> they borrowed JJ's MasterCard. <laughs> like, all right. JJ Bucks. JJ Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> JJ. <laughs> what do you call the JJ checks? The JJ checks. <laughs> oh, um, well, he's rich now. Anyways, yeah. Um, the oh, he was also. born rich. Both his parents were uh, like producers. Oh, but, Tom Travers. Um, yeah, that was what inspired. Cool. The aliens yeah. were inspired by Tremors. Someone has been reading the like the. the yeah. <laughs> I, I, I looked at a lot of stuff. <laughs> I was oh, so was... pumped about this. Kevin Bacon just. <laughs> Get down! <laughs> she gets out of the bunker. <laughs> Kevin Bacon in cowboy boots and tight jeans. Yeah. I'll watch so it. many F-bombs. That movie, The First Trimmers, had like like 130 F-bombs. We're not doing the, the, the Trimmers podcast. Right, Trimmers part one and two. Come later. Yeah. Um, okay, okay. There's one final thing that I want to ask you guys all about and get your opinions on this. Okay. The Event Horizon <laughs> is a good movie. Do you, <laughs> do you think Howard killed his family? Oh yeah. Oh, I undoubtedly. I would because I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, know. Think he I don't know. No, no. He definitely I, had a family, but not anymore. I, I think his. I don't think his family's dead. I think his family left him. I think they you moved think away they because he was dangerous. The whole. See, I think thing, the family's still the whole, alive. It was the third viewing the girl's when that he Megan mentions uh, Megan mentions Megan. the family, and she makes some comment about, well, they might not be gone. Like they they might still be out there. And he has this look on his face of like, oh, they're not out there. That is all like, of them in this. He has this too. blank look on his face, like he, <laughs> That's true. like he's, no. like he knew they're not out there in some way past this fallout. And that was it was the third viewing that I caught that. I think that he abducted that girl. Oh yeah. yeah. Just because his wife and daughter left him, and he wanted that daughter back, so he abducted a girl to have a daughter again. The same thing with Michelle. Is he wanted that daughter again? You notice they, they played on it. He never he couldn't call her a woman. No. He was a little girl, or she was she was a little yeah, girl. A little she was princess. a little princess, yep. yeah. but she was not a woman. 
because he wanted that daughter again. Yeah, right? I had the same reading that, of it as Colin did. I, I okay. anticipate they, whether or not they're still alive in Chicago or wherever they are, I feel like they are actually still out there, but they, they got away. Okay. I feel like in Alien Invasion, the hub of the nation, I think we could survive. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not John Goodman's family, but we could survive. Yes. <laughs> I definitely think that my, my first viewing... Uh, I agree that like I, I picked up uh, more as I went on. I think my first viewing, I just kind of imagined like he was making that all up as kind of a comfortable backstory for himself. But then I definitely, like any movie, the more times you view it, the more you pick up as you go. And I think I got more emotion from like his his detachment from the situation and like his his like loss that he had in his family. I, I can see what you mean. I definitely, I agree. Also, I we, keep, we keep mixing up her name, though. Yeah, Mimi, we, right? We called her... Megan. May. Michelle. Oh, Michelle. It's Michelle. Megan is the daughter. Yes. Megan is the daughter. I've been consistently calling Michelle Megan. Dang it. No, I said Michelle. Didn't I know, but I, I, I keep calling Michelle Megan. That's okay. I mean, I say things wrong all the time on podcasts. On my history podcast, we... Totally didn't know when the Magna Carta was. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Sixteen ninety. I got the Magna Carta on lockdown. All right. So that was episode six. <laughs> All right. Episode sixteen ninety. Uh, thank you. <laughs> of the Magna Carta podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about English liberty, if you ask me. But anyways. Uh, Thank you all for listening, if you even did listen this far in. And uh, we got a good one for next time. Just you wait. So, uh, thanks. Not that one, no. <laughs>